Hi, my name is Alan. I am the producer of the Courage to Lead interview series. I grew up in Australia, but my ancestors were first fleeters. I've learnt that this land is and always will be land cared for by the oldest Indigenous culture in the world, and that that land is and always will be Aboriginal land. Their culture is all about storytelling. So today I acknowledge the Darak people where this podcast is recorded and we extend our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And I truly hope you enjoy today's story, which is someone's individual journey on how they traverse the challenges and the joys of becoming a leader. Welcome to the first guest on the Courage to Lead interview series for 2024, Sean Warden. Now this guy's got some uh, things on his CV that I haven't seen on the show before, so I'm just going to read them out to you. He's a concert violinist, a musical conductor, an, an academic, a violin teacher, a violin maker, an aspiring vet, a wildlife rehabilitator, a gardener, and the leader of the Growing Food for Wildlife project that is occurring in the Hills District of Sydney and also in the Willoughby Shire Council. It's one of the most enjoyable interviews I've done on the show in the last two years. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Welcome to the first episode of 2024 of the Curry's to Lead interview series. And we've got a little bit of a different uh, slant on it. Some of the episodes this year, we're going to actually title, uh, title it Local Heroes of the um, around the Hillshire Council or anywhere in Australia, really. Just Local Heroes is um, one of my guests last year term the phrase local heroes uh, are the per people that inspire her the most because they're not often not recognised, but they do inspiring things every day. So the guy I've got on the show is uh, today is Sean Warden, and he really is a local hero uh, around the Hills District, and he's the founder or the, the inspiring person behind a project called the Growing Food for Wildlife Project. So this guy, Sean, is really a local hero. My wife knows him pretty well through um, the WIRES um, organisation for, for everything he does. So let's get into it, Sean. Thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> Thanks very much, Alan. Thanks for having me. No, it's, uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. Really, I'm really looking forward to it because it is, it is pretty interesting story. So let's get straight into it. If you're, if you, if he's told me um, before we came on air today that uh, you've actually listened to a couple of episodes. So every guest on the show gets asked the same two questions just to kind of as a bit of an icebreaker. And then we get into really who you are because the interview is all about you. So the first question is, uh, Sean, what was your first ever true experience of leadership? And it can be yesterday or it can be when you were five years old or as early as you can remember or anywhere in between. I was thinking about this question and it's quite funny because I remember being, oh, I must have been in year two or year one. And the teachers were saying that the other students were no longer allowed to play football in the field or they weren't able to play soccer. I can't remember exactly what the game was. I wasn't a particularly sporty child. But um, I looked at the kids playing and I thought, this is silly. Why are they arguing? Why are they having a dispute? And rather than completely stopping the games for those kids, 
which you could see they really enjoyed. I said to Miss, I, I walked up to her and I said, oh, Miss, look, I, I'd like to talk to my friends and see if we can if we can sort something out, you know, see if we can kind of keep the peace a bit here. And so not knowing a thing, uh, rather embarrassingly, about uh, football or soccer, I pulled the two groups together. And one recess or one lunch, I remember we were all sitting down together and um, we... I, I pulled a couple of the boys up and I said, I want you to show me how to kick a ball. How do you kick a ball? And they laughed at me, of course. You know, well, who's this kid who can't kick a ball? Yeah. And, and I wanted to know the proper way of kicking a ball. And, and then another kid said, no, 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 no. This, this is how you do it. All right, okay. So I, I had a few goes with a few a few of the different kids. And um, gradually some more more kids were coming over and more kids were coming over. And they're, they're from sort of two different uh, groups within the school. And by getting them to sort of teach me I actually got them communicating a little bit more, got yeah. them talking a little bit more, and they stopped fighting as much. And I feel like that was probably my very first uh, experience with leadership. I thought, hey, you know what? That was really cool. <laughs> they, they've stopped now. Yeah. That's pretty good. It's um, You did something yesterday that uh, not many guests on the show do, actually. You sent me a... Uh, a pretty good background story on who you are. And there's something in that background story that really grabbed me. Uh, and it says something lines, along the lines of, I have a talent for getting people together to do something. Uh, so And actually achieve something that people <laughs> don't normally achieve, just collaborating together and doing something that we want to achieve. So maybe that's you can see where that came from like uh like a little kid in in year two in second class it's pretty unusual pretty good skills to be able to get the you know the, the kids together to teach you to do something and that's that's in that's that's a really good story well done well done it blows me away where some a lot of people on the show do go to a primary school moment uh, and that kind of sets their platform for the rest of their life so i think that's a really good story. So the second one is, um, and you've been pretty upfront with me. So, Sean, what's something about Sean Warden that no one, absolutely no one knows? It's it's a funny question, you know, because uh, as one walks there, the day to day, they they're immersed in all, you know, they're looking through the different windows that um that are the the windows on the house that is their life, um, and they forget that sometimes the people that are looking back don't actually see the other windows and the other facets. Um, through wildlife, I've had a lot of people ask me, oh, you know, uh, so where do you teach? Thinking that they know that I, I teach the violin and that I teach music, but they're actually thinking that I'm a science class teacher or, or something like that because I'm so, I'm really interested in, you know, in the, in the subject matter. Um, a lot of people don't know that I'm a musician and a historian. So yeah. my uh, speciality through music was historically informed performance. I always wondered why people would listen to composers like Bach, Handel and Vivaldi uh, being three really popular composers. And, and I, I wonder, why do they listen to that particular recording? It, it sounds a little bit, uh, for want of a better term, a bit stale. You know, it, it's not particularly uh, uh, emotionally arousing. I'm not feeling, you know, um, Francesco Gimignani, a, a very famous uh, theorist in, uh, from the mid 18th century, states in his treatise on violin playing that music is to affect the passions. and the, the, the recordings that I was listening to and other people were listening to weren't very uh, 
impassionate. Um, yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah. They were a little bit lackluster. And so I thought, well, let's look into this a little bit further. Um, something that my grandfather actually uh, used to say all the time is, why is it so? And so I'd look into that and I'd go, go down that, that avenue and I found, oh, they're talking about swinging rhythms in the early 18th century. They're talking about swinging rhythms in the time of, and the very town of Bach, where yeah. he was working. Um, and so approaching music from that perspective on historical instruments has um, long been a, a very serious uh, passion and profession of mine. And yeah, I think that that's probably what a lot of people don't know about me. <laughs> well, um, you're an interesting guy. Like, uh, you're the first musician and historian that I've ever <laughs> that I've ever interviewed. So, um, uh, and I love where you went there with. Um, I couldn't even tell you who you told me that the guy in the 18th, a musician, musical historian in the 18th century. Well, um, this is going to be educational. So let's go. You take me where you want to take me. Like, we, we know where we're going to end up. Um, you're the leader of this beautiful movement, Growing Food for Wildlife Project, which happens in Anningrove Road, um, in Anningrove, uh, in the Hills District. And I also believe it happens in Willoughby Council as well. So um, you take me where you want to take me. Where does, where does Sean learn to be a musician and, and then the violinist, the conductor, and how does he end up where he ends up? now with all these kind of balls <laughs> juggling uh, and you're just you're obviously a very multifaceted type of person so let's go you, you take me where you want to take me <laughs> it's a really funny story so before covid there was there was lots of performance work there was lots of teaching work um once the covid pandemic came around and we were experiencing lockdowns and uh, there, there, there was there were limited performances the a lot of the venues city recital hall and the opera house were closing down to um large events um for large stretches of time and the music industry found, really found itself at um, quite a halt you know a lot of these people uh, in the industry they, they focus on performance mostly um, I was lucky because I also did a lot of teaching um, so we moved over to an online platform with all of my students and during these lockdowns I, I found and um, I know I'm not the only one I found myself really just grinding into it you know I'd finished work and I was 50% more exhausted than what I was uh, when I was working face to face with these yeah. kids and when I was performing at the same time, you know, early mornings and late nights, no problem. But when it was, when it came to doing it online, it was very hard. And so I needed to pick up a hobby. And so I picked up some cabinetry and I learned from um, a dear friend of mine and, and a bit of a mentor, Simon Brown, who's a violin maker. And he showed me how to make a working bench. Uh, and I made several of those and kind of went through with that. But as I was doing this, I, I, I fell back on an old hobby, something that I'd gotten from another grandfather, my grandfather, Barry Martin, um, that is gardening. Um, in 2018, uh, I watched a documentary at the recommendation of my partner, Sarah. Uh, it was one of David Attenborough's BBC documentaries. And I found myself in tears looking at the science of, of, of microorganisms and their interactions with macroorganisms and, you know, flora and fauna and how different elements and, and the chemistry of the of the atmosphere and of the soil affects that of the ocean and vice versa. And I began to to really ponder the, the science bit behind all these these things in, my, in relation to my day to day life. You know, I'd walk past a garden, I'd think, what's happening there? Why are the bees all going for this plant and not for that plant? And yeah, what's that yeah. one with the blue back? Oh, it's a blue banded bee and yeah, um, yeah. that sort of thing. And so I, I did some cabinetry, but I got further into my garden we were really fortunate to back onto 
a beautiful stretch of bushland where we are. And um, I was observing the plants and my partner was observing the plants and the interactions of the animals. And we wondered, well, why have we got so, you know, we've got we've got um, such a monoculture of dragonflies and we've got we also had some cockroaches when we moved in. Yeah, we thought it was really weird. And so we tried to control that through um, mainstream means and um, with, with little luck, really. Yeah, we kept planting out the garden and planting it out, thinking that we were going to make matters worse. But about six months later, we noticed that the dragonflies had all disappeared, as they 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 tend to do, um, most species do. But the cockroaches had disappeared. Yeah. Six months later, twelve months from the original start of that, we um we noticed that okay, we've got a much more balanced variety of dragonflies now. We don't have as many dragonflies on the whole. We've also got lots of little lizards hanging about. We kept gardening, we kept gardening, and we kept gardening, and um, thankfully the roach problem was taken care of. Yeah, um, yeah. And we started to see you know, small birds come in and different species of lizards. Um, just the other day I was out watering the garden and we saw a, a green tree snake. Uh, it's, it's shed its skin in one of our trees. And to see the, the a word that is, is, it tends to be treated as a hot word, but it's, it's really an important word, biodiversity in my own backyard, in my own courtyard, seeing it come into this sort of environmental equilibrium was amazing. And I thought, well, that's great. It's well and great. I'm renting here. As soon as I move out, it, it, it might not be the case. The next tenant might decide yeah. to burn it all down, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so I thought, how can we make a difference more broadly? And so we started um, restoring uh, a slope that heads down to the national park with uh, natives and uh, local provenance natives, that is natives from the local gene pool. Uh, that have been propagated through license uh, from seed yep. in, in that bushland. And um, we started to see uh, eastern, eastern spinebill and um, superb fairy wren and all sorts of birds and bandicoots come up, which we hadn't seen before, that were turning the soil. The, we didn't just have a monoculture of uh, brush turkeys that were scratching at the, the bare rock. Yeah. They were, we now had all sorts of different things happening. And um, we now have powerful owls that are coming up to, to hunt the possums. And we're now seeing yeah. a chick uh, learning to forage literally in our courtyard. It is incredible. So we, we kept doing this and we kept gardening. And as renters, we're quite limited as to what we can do, despite having the slope and the, um, the courtyard. So one day I was driving down along the M2 down towards uh, the Lane Cove Tunnel, and on the left I saw this this fluffy thing. I thought, oh no, okay, that's that's not good. And I, I was I drove I drove a little bit closer. I noticed that it was a very large brush-tailed possum. Yeah. And it was it was funny because we we drive along the roads you know every day, and and we see a lot of roadkill, and it's it was this particular possum that sort of stopped me in my tracks. Now, mind you, I, you know, I'm going 80 kilometers an hour in, along the M2 and <laughs> I had to be yeah, careful yeah. driving, of course, but um, I, I had to, to pull over when I can get off the, the Lenko tunnel and call my partner, Sarah, and say, you know, I, I found this, this possum and I, I heard you, you'd seen something on social media about pouch checking it. And uh, I, I wonder if you could show me how to do that. So I, I drove back circled back and um, picked Sarah up and we, we drove along the M2 again. We stopped just shy of the possum and, and I got out of the car after Sarah instructed me on what to do and walking towards this possum I found myself really, um, you know, when I initially drove past it I was, I was really stopping my tracks but I really, I was at complete pause. What am I doing? Yeah. Why, 
why am I doing this and why does it affect me so much? Yeah. Got a little bit closer and started crying. I found yeah. myself like literally blubbering and, and the thoughts on reflection that were going through my head are, well, what if that was one of my students? What if that was my mother? Or what if yeah. that was, was Sarah or myself? What would be going through my head? Yeah. You know, what what's that dialogue, that confusion? And um, it all gets very dark from, from there. I checked the possum and thankfully it was just a male, you know, a male brush towel. I say just a male brush towel. Thankfully there were no joeys on board. Yeah. Um, turned around again and took Sarah home and decided I'm going to join um, a wildlife organisation. Yep. So I, I, I did my um, basic training and I found myself with some buddies and some mentors and spent a few months just sussing out the um, the organisation and the, the local branch and um, started to make some really, really good friends. And of all different ages and all different backgrounds and ethnicities and it was really stimulating. Yeah. One less in particular, Kate Turner um, yes. sat me down and said, what would you like to care for? What are you going to care for? I see you here and I see you helping me here and I see you helping out with those birds over there, etc. And um, from there, she kind of guided me through possum rehabilitation and glider rehabilitation. And um, then I went through uh, reptile rehabilitation, raptor, um, and recently completed my venomous snake training. I'm very, wow. very proud of that. It was wow. a big fear to overcome. Yeah. So six months into that, after caring for, I think by that point, we'd done around about 211 animals um, in that year, or six months, sorry, in, that, in those six months, we um, then uh, found ourselves really, really tired out. We wondered, well, why are we so tired? And it's because of the amount of food that one has to collect as a yes. wildlife rehabilitator. You know, you can, you, we can go down to Woolworths, you know, we can, or, or, or Coles or one of the local supermarkets, um, and we can pick up whatever we need. But these animals really have to traverse long distances um, in dangerous, in dangerous areas where there could be, you know, cranky dogs or cranky owners in the backyard who don't want them munching on the lemons and yep. other such things. Um, and if we're exhausted, how, how are they feeling? Well, I, I, we pondered that for a little while, and I got talking with Kate and got talking with a few other people and, and thought it'd be so great if we had some public land that wasn't being used for anything else. And if we grew local provenance, that is from the local gene pool, local provenance plants to feed the wildlife who are genetically predispositioned for that food. Huh. Brainstormed it a little bit more, brainstormed a little bit more. No one has time for that. Yeah. You know, no one has, none of the rehabilitators have time to go down there and maintain these sites. So what if we brought together the education aspect? So actually educating on people, you know, people on what needs to be rescued or what kind of animal is this or how do I make sure I, I'm caring for the animals that are traversing my yard, etc. And, 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 and mixing that with a bit of gardening. Yeah. Let's have a chat while we garden. So I thought, okay, if I can facilitate something like that, if I can get people all together to do this, I'm going to need some land from council. So we started reaching out to councils and um, we mostly received a non-response from, from most groups, but then we got one response from the Hillshire Council, uh, Jess Stein from the Environment Centre, Annan Grove uh, Community Environment Centre. And Jess uh, is also a, a, res a rescue and rehabilitator. Jess was really, really keen. She has the most amazing energy. Um, nothing is too hard. Um, just really terrific and so she took this this nervous bearded man in and who, who had this idea and she said right okay would this bit of land here do 
I was like, that's really great. I said, I said, that, thank you. This would be amazing. I can see all sorts of things happening here. Have you got any more? Yeah. <laughs> and so she pointed me to the end of a car park and out the front by an oval. And, um, you know, uh, the story skipping ahead a little bit, you know, we, we really started to get some great community engagement. We, we had, I think on the, the first workshop, we had about 10 rehabilitators and two members of the public. And then a couple of months later, we, we had five of each. And now we're getting, you know, seven, eight, nine members of the public and two rehabilitators. And now we invite a guest speaker to, uh, to speak at each one of the events, wow. and, uh, yeah. making that accessible for children more and, and for uh, you know, retirees and, and, and that sort of thing. And we're now trying to reach out to, um, to get people to grow these things really in their backyard. You know, so the possum, as it goes along its highway, rather than munching on people's tomatoes, will go and, you know, ha have a little munch on that uh you know, that Syzygium or that Kunzia or that, you know, Callistamon or whatever, um, you know, or the lorikeets can come by and they've got some food or the powerful owls, chicks have somewhere to roost, yeah. um, you know, when they're learning to fledge and, and that sort of thing. So we, were, we, we had um, a really exciting thing happen, though. The, the absolute peak of it all was when um, Costa Georgiadis from ABC's Gardening Australia reached out and um, said, Hey Sean, look, we'd we'd like to do a, a segment on on what you guys are doing, what you and Jess are doing, um, and so on the tenth of November that um, that aired, and um, this is last year, the tenth of November twenty uh, two thousand twenty three. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the episode aired, and we had a, a wonderful viewing with about forty people who came along to to watch it at the centre, and um, it was really inspiring. Just after the segment, though, I've never had my phone vibrate so rigorously. Yeah. I had calls and messages coming in from everywhere. Yeah. We just launched the website. Um, yeah. Selfish plug here, but www.growingfoodforwildlifeproject.org. Um, and people were writing to us from, from all over the country saying, look, we want to know more about the project. How, how do you get this sort of thing started? Um. And so uh, down in South Australia, the koala rehabilitators, they have a hard time getting uh, mana gums, which is a staple for the koala. And uh, we've been, been able to engage with them and, and, and find out what particular species are provenance for various areas, yeah. uh, the, the areas respectively of the people that engaged. And um, we've now got uh, several sites starting up there and a site in Victoria. And I can't remember whether it's four or five sites uh, more sites in Sydney. Well, well, um, just let's just go through that a little bit. So, you got several sites in um, Victoria, you said, and several. Let's let's re just go in reverse. Several sites in Sydney. So, what sites in? Where are the sites in Sydney? So we're starting up uh, a site at Pennant Hills uh, near uh, Wern Street. Uh, it's backing onto a creek uh, drainage line. And we're working through it with uh, Hornsby Council, who've been just absolutely wonderful. Tanya Salitra and Monica Ball in particular have really driven this. Um, we're launching that in a couple of months. Uh, Flat Rock Gully in Willoughby. Uh, also the Randwick Sustainability Centre is another one. We've also got potential in, um, in Parramatta and up further north as well, but those are still in the works. And but um, let's let's expand that a little bit then. Um, 
whereabouts in Victoria, if you, if you can rattle them off your, off your head as well. So we're looking at Melbourne City yeah. within Melbourne proper. So it's just that one site at the moment for Victoria. I haven't actually seen where they're, where they're talking about. It's a project they're currently with um, uh, the wonderful Melbourne University. Um, and we're kind of looking at uh, how we can actually plug into that and have a, a site that uh, wildlife rehabilitators can harvest from and actually access it at any point. Pretty cool, mate. Um, you've, uh, you've been quite modest in this because uh, anyone that's kind of embarked on something as new as what you've done with this and as um, it's got across a few different kind of council, probably organisations and, and other, other organisations in a community, that normally doesn't happen without a fair, with a bit of pushback and a bit of challenges. Um, do you want to talk about, because you've got this really beautiful, calm way about you in talking to you, and even, you know, even in your emails and your website's the same. It's a beautiful website. How did you navigate the challenges and um, and bring people together? Because I think that's your, you know, this is a leadership show. Um, and I think people need to know, even at a local level, it's possible to navigate challenges. How, how, how did you do it? Talk us through it. I think it's a, it can be tricky to articulate because it's such a multifaceted sort of three-dimensional um, uh, approach, really. You know, you, 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 you get into something, whether it be gardening, bike riding, uh, you name it, any particular hobby, and you want to do something for the community um, with respect to that. And you find yourself, okay, well, I belong to this particular group, but there's group uh, B over there that does exactly the same thing. And then there's group C and then there's group D that's a little bit the same, a little bit different. Um, one of the things that I found made a huge difference was actually talking to everyone. Yeah. Hey, this is an establishment of what's actually going on here. You know, we've got uh, several different organisations, uh, wildlife rescue organisations that uh, operate in the Sydney region and they don't talk to one another uh, generally they don't talk to one another um and so i started to think well we're actually in this for the wildlife every single one of us it doesn't really matter what organization you belong to Let, let's get down to the to the to the crux of this these wildlife the wildlife who have no organization uh, they uh, despite being a very part of a very organized system they 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 need food when they're sick yeah. You know, it's a bit like going to hospital and having a weak recovery and, and, and starving your way through it. Um, you know, they're going to need to give you a heck of a lot of fluids. Um, and so I started speaking with different organisations and different members from the organisations and just getting their thoughts on things, getting getting to see where they're, you know, uh, where they felt impassioned and where they felt um, it was just another case of deja vu, some young kid with um you know a bit of enthusiasm is gonna fall yeah. on his feet yeah. um hopefully not his face but um i kind of took that and i've always liked people saying no because i come back to my grandfather um he would always say why is it so why do they think this is it because of testimony is it because of they, they've experienced a scenario where they've tried to start up the same thing but maybe the plants have been let go or has this even started before what do they foresee the challenges being you know oh no one's going to want to be involved with that i, I got a lot yeah you know, uh, someone else said it's been done before and it's failed before um and so i think you have to not let someone else's testimony get you down 
you have to think, okay, well, this is the idea. I've, I, I'm, I'm, it's like a stream of water. The water is always going to head to the lowest altitude. It is always going to head to the lowest until it can go no further. A little uh, fork in the, a little, sorry, not a little fork, a little stone in the creek is not going to stop the water in its tracks. It's going to go around it, yeah. you know. And so finding those obstacles and and being able to move around them or pull together several different problems and seeing if you can address them in the same stroke, you know, preserving your own energy. Um, and I think one of the things that I did is I took my time with with this. I actually I reached out to each individual council. I, I created uh, video proposals, um, visually demonstrating what I'd like to do, how I'd well, like to work. I well, engaged well. Bush Care and said, look, is anyone here actually, you know, I know you guys meet monthly, but would you be up for <clears throat> sort of doing an extended Bush Care where we, we just focus on not necessarily the bush as a whole, but the food for the wildlife? Um, you know, and then we engaged some local churches and some other community groups and, and really got their sort of feel of what was what was going on. You know, what were, what were their thoughts about this? Is it something that's that's viable? And yeah. most people said no. They said not really. It's something we couldn't commit to. But as soon as it launched, um, but, you know, as I said, we just started getting more and more people. And, you know, it, it word got out to universities. And we've had people come and do um, assignments on uh, yeah. community outreach programs and, and yeah. other such things. And it's, it was like, wow. You know, there's a little bit of thought, a little bit of consultation, seeing where the, the problems are, being realistic, and then saying, you know, off with it all and just going, going for it. Can you, um, I, 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 this is totally unscripted, so but one, of, one of my guests on the show, um, uh, early on in the show, was a, a, a minister for, uh, an independent minister for state government, Alex Greenwich, the member of Sydney, and he often talks about, you um, he ends up working closest, most closely with the people who are opposing the most initially. Um, can you, 100%. can you, can you, can you give me an example? And this is totally unscripted. Can you give me an example where that might have happened for you? Yeah. Look, <clears throat> there was one particular um, lass, and she said to me, "Oh, honey, don't waste your time." and um i was like oh i like this i like this um and this person has since grown to to be a real uh real mentor for me both you know the the actual individual rehabilitation of animals but also um you know i think life and um with people and interacting with different volunteers and she she said straight up don't waste your time it's never going to you know, it's never going to never going to work. And so I asked her why. Why isn't going to work? And she said, Well, firstly, you won't get the numbers. Secondly, everything's everything's just going to grow over. And third, you know, the the places that you've been inquiring about that, you know, I was inquiring a, a little bit further out from Sydney Centre, Sydney Centre, so we get you know hopefully a little bit more land. She said no one's going to want to go there to to actually pick up the greens. And so I said, Okay, so what about what about a delivery system? What if we employed a delivery system? What if we had a rotational system then where, where we had during the baby season, um, some of the new carers uh, go up and, and collect these greens. They learn about the different species because not you know, wildlife won't eat every every native plant. You know, they, they prefer some things and not others. A bit like us, I, I prefer baby spinach, but uh, my partner prefers zucchini. Yeah. Um, and what, what if we tried that? No, no, no one's going to want to go out of there. And people are already giving so much time to wildlife rehab. Why would they waste money on fuel going up there just to feed a few possums for a few nights? So I got thinking again, thinking again, and <clears throat> I, I was brainstorming with Jess. 
um, oh, this is a little bit later actually, um, on, on, okay, well, how can we get engagement, you know, from this particular area of Sydney over to that area of Sydney where we had the first plot? Jess was going to bring it back. You know, you, if you keep searching and you keep working with these people who might be your biggest skeptics, a solution will find its, you'll find its way. As I say, the water will find its way through the cracks. And that's the water being the idea and the, the sort of the rocks um, that, are, that create the wall are the, are the um, sort of opposing ideas. Uh, there was also, you know, the, the idea of compassion fatigue. I had on several occasions found myself um, needing counselling uh, to talk through some of the emotions that I was experiencing um, in relation to some traumatic uh, yeah, yeah. rescues. Yes. And, um, you know, oh, Sean, you're just going to get, you know, you're going to feel down again. You're going to feel down again. Well, when we finally did get the project started, the rehabilitators that previously really weren't um, uh, sort of chatting with one another, you could see their spirits were lifted through the process of, of just doing a bit of weeding and, and having a cup of tea. You know, they, they were able to reflect on on methodology of rehabilitation, but also some of their, their harder stories or their, their great stories, you know, the really inspiring ones. Um, and so I think knowing that those would be a challenge from the get-go, um, but just, just simply going for it and trying it out was was really how 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 it started you know we, I, I i saw the the obstacles i trickled through and we gave it a go and eventually we found the, the rapids of water that's pretty good I, I love your analogies um and some of the best uh, guests uh like you they tell a story with um and i forget what they call it where through through um pictures and creating a uh, a different image in your mind and there's a special word for that but i'm i'm not educated enough to, to say what it is but um um when you're talking about this lady that said, honey, don't waste your time, you actually said she became a real mentor for you, not just around the rehab of animals, but in your life. Do you want to expand on that? What what happened there? Well, yeah, how did this happen? Yeah, I um, I had a very interesting upbringing. You know, I, I lived with my mother and... Um, uh, my stepfather, who was a um, ex-military American military uh, officer, and uh, my mother is a hairdresser. And um, over time, we 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 sort of didn't we lost contact with one another. Really, you know, our lives are very very different. And um, I felt living so far away from my mother. I grew up on the Lower South Coast. Um, there was always a bit of a a spot for a surrogate mother, yeah. and. Um, and this particular person, she she sort of fit right into that spot re- first up. She wasn't someone who was just going to, she isn't someone who's, who was just going to tell me what I wanted to hear. Yeah. She she was going to tell me what I needed to know, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I really appreciated that because I've always I've always thought of things, okay, well, how could we make this better? What, what, what could we do better? How can we get groups communicating? And she said, no, no, no. You want to avoid this. You're going to embarrass yourself, son. <laughs> she, she'd say things like that. Go about it this way. Try this way. And and here's you've got this seven-page email. Let's cut it down to two paragraphs. Wow. You know, and, wow. Yeah, and things like yeah, that. But also, yeah. you know, there would be, there might be a, a bit of a dispute between myself and another member, or or you know, a, 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 not a dispute, but you know, a disagreement of on yeah. you know, on, on a superficial front. And um, I would talk about this with her, and she would 
sit me down with a cup of tea and she'd say, right, okay, well, do you think you could have done this better? Do you think you've come across like this and this is why you've gotten this reaction? And that reality check, you know, she, yeah. she kind of saw me as, you know, overly enthusiastic, go, 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 go. And she was the stop sign and said, look, you need to really seriously watch the speed limit right now because... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think I just re- I responded well to that because I, I recognised the fact that I needed that in my life. I needed someone to, to really say, stop and here's why. It's How interesting. Can we do this differently? Yeah. Because you, you said um, the reason why this project has worked is because you didn't go too fast. You took your time. Um, yeah. And there, there it is early on in the process. Like it sounds like oh, I can relate to it. I've been there myself. A lot of people have um, where you want to make something happen. So you're pushing too hard and you have disagreements with people. And she said, uh, what's, I love that term. What's the speed limit? Slow down. Uh, so it's... Yeah. Um, it's a it's a really good story where you you haven't done it on your own. You've done it with other people around you, including a mentor who um, who gives you those the home truths that you need to hear. But you must go and ask the question and have the dialogue. So how does how does that happen? Where that where you put yourself in a position where like I stuffed up, uh, Madam Mentor. Um, uh, do you ring her or, or do you meet regularly or how does it happen? How's the, what's the relationship look like? Interestingly, we tend to meet over gardening. Okay. And, yes. Um, you know, I'll, I'll sometimes call her up or maybe um, there'll be an idea that'll come to my head. And rather than executing it, I will run it by her and I'll run it by my partner and I'll run it by other mentors in my life and friends and just what, what, how could I make that better? How can I, okay, I've got this and I've got this. I'm connecting them this way, but I can foresee this challenge because I've spoken to other people. What do you reckon? How can we, how could one get around that? You know, and everyone's got such a completely different take on it. Yes, you know? yes. And some of the best people to, to actually consult when you've got an idea are people who are not even in the field, not yeah. even remotely. Um, but yeah, this this last year I tend to call her up and I'll, 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 just kind of run something by her and then she'll say you know come on over we've got some um some weeds in the garden or i want you to pull that um that particular plant or you know we'll, is this uh, got these do you want to give me a hand plant and then we'll, we'll chat it out you know we'll, we'll really have a good discussion on it i'm trying to drill down who it was i thought i had a uh, a target on it but is is it jess uh it's actually not jess no okay. but jess has been absolutely incredible because okay. you know jess and i will just bounce ideas off one another bounce ideas off one another and then we start bouncing those ideas off the people who attend regularly at the workshops. Yeah. You know, and they, 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 they actually really create it. It's, it's those di- people from all those different groups. You know, we can all see the challenges. We can all see the, you know, and there's history behind the groups and their interactions. We, can, we all know that stuff. Yeah. And we say, no, this has got to, this has got to change, you know, yes. and, and, yes. and how can we do this better? What, what, what's actually happened? Yeah. Okay, let's forget all that. We've now learned that. We're aware that that can happen. Yeah. Moving forward, you know. Um, I, love so... I, really, I really love what you're talking about because you said it there before. Um, the animal doesn't care who rescues it or who gives it food. <laughs> it doesn't care yeah. whether, you, whether you belong to which, you know, animal rescue group A or B or Z. Um, I, I, I normally don't talk much in these things, but I can totally relate to what you're talking about. In in my old job in the police, I used to be the sponsor of homelessness, um, and it had it had the same issue uh, early on. All these different agencies 
had their own charter and I just I was similar to you I got with a group of leaders with the passion like you and said well the homeless person doesn't care who gives them a house <laughs> just give them a house so uh, I can so relate to what you're talking about so enough about me but I, I just love um, how you like uh, some people say the kiss method keep it simple stupid you know you've 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 really just kept it human beings want to work together to get a better solution and we definitely get better solutions when we work together so let, let's you just dropped it in there you know we in these workshops we we um solve problems so as a workshop are you uh, kneeling next to each other in the garden gardening or is the workshop in a kind of a a meeting situation or what's a workshop look like it's it's a very very funny little thing because it's never the same okay you know and they're they're often impromptu someone's had a thought and maybe they've emailed someone about it and they said all right well let's um let's run it by xyz at the next workshop and so we meet at the next workshop and we'll have a talk about something you know uh, we had the most recent talk actually was uh, we had the amazing ravi singh come and talk about um preparation for snakes you know what do you i do saw him if, uh, yeah yeah, see yeah. A snake and yeah and he um he was talking about you know whether a snake is dangerous or not and well the snake's only dangerous if you make it dangerous by chastising it or going near it um it was re really 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 great but after that you know we had um a young lass come up to us and and say look i i, I and, and her mum say i i would like to to have someone to help me with the duke of ed on the on a sort of more avian science so bird science um, side of things I'd like to understand you know a bit of bird biology and and really get to know some species so I can so I can help them and um, she's not old enough yet to to be able to do the the uh, wildlife rehabilitation training but um, yeah. she really wanted to learn as much as she could um, and so we were kind of you know brainstorming well you know I, I'm too busy at this particular point and other people are too busy at that, at, a, at that particular point and some people are not not really bird specialists and um and so we figured out, you know, a, a way of, of, of sort of piecing it together. How can we help this person and not also, you know, um, uh, sacrifice the quality of the information that we're giving them or the quality of the of the resources that we're recommending to them? Um, and yeah, just you know, it's those little things. They all add up because this person, this, this young lass, has now gone up to Byron Bay uh, Koala Hospital and and other well, such places, and she's really expanding her horizons. And um, you know, um, those those little things. How how can we help one another? We're faced with this particular conundrum or or a minor problem, or it could be you know any any extended problem, and and we work together to fix it. You know, for, I, I'm heavily involved in the Powerful Owl Project and um absolutely love the birds i think they're incredible beings and um and it can be a little bit torn when i've just released a pot of possums but i drive <laughs> 20 minutes over to my powerful owls and i see them munching on a possum but um yeah, yeah well we've seen that because you know my wife is in uh, does all the rehab as well for possums and yeah and she's in, the power, yeah. she's in the powerful owl project as well so i can totally relate to what you're talking about <laughs> a hundred percent and you know we'll, we have people come simply because they want to say Hey, I keep hearing this sound yeah. in my in my in my on my property. What is it? Yeah. And so we've got newbies there. We've got really experienced people who are all looking at one another and grinning like, ha ha ha. Sean's going to go on a big tangent now with, with, yeah, with the yeah. owls, you know. And and the kids there, they, they are learning about this 
rather spooky sound that happens in the middle of the night, and they're they're learning that that is actually a really amazing organism oh, yeah. at the top of a yeah. topic track uh, cascade. Yes. You know that we have owls in Australia. Yes. You know, and twenty frog mouths—they're not owls; they're actually yeah. night jars. You know, and 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 little things like that. And so these little discussions we have: someone's found a powerful owl in their yard. That's great. You know, I'll organize a time to go over and see them. And someone else, one of the other volunteers, will say, "Hey, do you mind if I just kind of, you know, watch from a distance, or, or you know, just have a little bit of a listen? I'd, I'd like to hear what whether it's the same as what I get." And and the runoff effect um, is is huge. And that's what this project's about. Where we're developing an app at the moment to uh, connect a bit of a sidebar to connect um, people uh, who have natives in their homes. You know, most of us have a lily pilly hedge or a lily pilly bush or um, some sort of tea tree. Uh, and that could be food for wildlife, depending on the species that the rehabilitator has in care and what species the yeah. member of the public has in their yard. And um, through that app, we want to extend this. We want everyone to have an opportunity to, to engage with their local wildlife rehabilitators who are um, itching to get out there and teach people about the wildlife that they care for, um, as well as making it easier for them to feed the animals they've got in their homes. So it's, it's taking that, we've got a, we've got a, a community and we're, we're helping one another, we're talking about all the different things, we're solving the questions that are in our minds at, at this particular workshop. We're feeding wildlife as a byproduct, but how can, you know, we're, we're trying to, to make this far more accessible to those who might not have a community centre or might not have a local bush care group or might not be uh, particularly, uh, might not desire getting involved. Um, or, you know, whatever reason, they can still have that one hedge that that rehabilitator comes along, rehabilitator comes along and, and harvests from, and they can have a chat, um, discuss wildlife, or just have a cup of tea and discuss life. Um, bring It just brings those those different communities um, together. Because I think that that today, and I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, campaigning or anything, but I think today, more than ever, with the population as high as it is, and the the devastation that we're seeing inflicted upon uh, the environment, you know, uh, both on a small scale and a large scale, we have to communicate. We have to discuss those questions about whatever animal that is, or, you know, how do I control the cockroaches and dragonflies at my home? You know, they're, they're questions that are actually really important. They might not seem it, but they are really, really, really important yeah. if we want to tackle scientific it's issues. It's beautiful. I love, um, I just love I love the concept um, that, that the guest last year talked about local heroes. So you, you know, you're the first kind of guy in this theme, and and you're probably one of the most um, engrossing and leadership-centered conversation I've ever had on the show. Really, because everywhere you go, because you, you 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 kept it, you try and keep it pretty simple, but it's so encompassing where you're coming from. Um, something you said, uh, and I just let you go. Um, because you, you're just such a fat, uh, you've got so many common sense stuff coming out of your mouth. Um, you talked about Ravi Singh and the snake catcher in the workshops, and then you talked about the young lass who was doing it, doing the Duke of Ed and the mother, and you wanted to, she was too young to do the rehab training, and she ended up at Byron Bay Hospital um, doing um, rehab up there in Animal Hospital. Um, the question I wanted to ask you around that line of um, story is, what's your network like now? Like, it, did it, did you put that young that young lady with her mum up to Byron Bay because of your network? Is have you created this massive network that people will just help anywhere? 
No, actually, I, I did not. What I really loved about this particular um, student's story is, you know, her mum is just so on board. Her mum is a wildlife rehabilitator um, and is well connected. <clears throat> but this girl is now able to say, I want to do this. You know, I, I, I want to go there. There's that passion. There's that small spark that has been ignited from the rest of the community at the center's um, fire that they've got for this, for yeah. this stuff. You know, she's taken a spark and she's making it her own. You know, she's she uh, she isn't rehabilitating up there, but she was watching some of the vets and what they were doing and and kind of you know assisting them. Um, and you know, she came back and and she said she just had the time of her life and had stories upon stories upon stories and was really 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 excited about the whole. The whole experience um, and other people are doing a, you know a similar thing we've had some people that have joined up with wildlife rehabilitation um, we've had you know carers that are like you know man I really need to update my knowledge of flora because my possums are just not eating what I'm giving them yeah you know? so they'll, they'll, they'll come along and and they say you know what I actually really if that's edible to possums I really love the smell of it I'm gonna grow that in my backyard so those little ideas and that expansion from this, this, these humble plots at Annan Grove, that that's what it's really all about. It's that growth. It's taking that passion for, for, for several different aspects and and making it theirs, growing it in their own backyard. Okay, one of the things I love, um, and quite quite often you hear people, you know, people. Oh, you and I are talking really well face to face, but that doesn't always happen. Um, yeah, you're a really easy guy to talk talk with, a really easy guest. But um, I liked how you couched. Um, you, you said at one time there was different carers from different organisations that traditionally don't get on, but because they had their hand in the garden, gardening together, they realised their similarities. Um, can you give a? Uh, I'll just I'll give 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 you a little um, sidebar on this. One of the guests on the show, he uh, he got divorced from his wife. He he lived in um, Asia somewhere as a high flying executive, and his wife took their child back to Sweden. Um, and the way he had a relationship with his son was to play computer games, gaming with oh. each other. And they through the game through the game they ended up with a relationship because they were doing the same thing. So I love you just have so many common sense um, analogies that are relevant in any kind of leadership role. Really, um, is there a story that you can relate to where two people didn't get on, and through the gardening together they ended up good mates or or achieve something they wouldn't have achieved because they weren't they wouldn't have got together in in another in another scenario yeah it's really interesting i've got to be careful not to mention any names but yeah there's there was a rehabilitator that i spoke to from organization a and another one that i spoke to from organization b and look one day um fully knowing um that they had history with one another <laughs> and, and really didn't oh. see eye to eye uh, i found myself um having a pulmonary because i i <laughs> <laughs> realized that they were both attending that day and um i was like oh no you know that neither of them are ever going to come back and it was really interesting these perceptions of borders and i remember having this dialogue in my head you know these these borders and these walls around you know uh, our our group 
was suddenly no longer there. And with while while both of those individuals were seeing that, you know, everyone was getting involved and they were um, you know, they were, they were taking care of the plants that both of those rehabilitators wanted to harvest from later that evening. Um, and it was really interesting. At first, they sort of avoided one another and and gradually the conversation sort of crossed across the line of people, you know, that were sort of along along the um, the barrier yeah. of this particular plot. And something came up about the species that they both cared for. And one of them said, I do this. And the other one said, I do that. And they both said, well, they both engaged in dialogue as to why that was a really good idea. Yeah. You know, and... From there, you could see immediately that the previously burned bridges had had at least had some scaffolding you know, put, yeah. put up with intention to to mend, and it kind of went on and on and on. And I remember that at the very end, one of them asked the other one a question, and now that was just, you know, it was, yeah. it was incredible because the other one asked, "Do you do this in your enclosures? I'm really curious about it because I've tried this." The other one said, "Yes, I do," and they they engaged in dialogue over that. And it was through just gardening, through a bit of weeding, you know, and 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 the the need of okay, we all need food for wildlife. This is what all the wildlife need, you know. They, that's what got them there. They were inadvertently able to mend that mend that bridge, you know. And my understanding is to this very day that there's no animosity between them. I don't think that they're best friends, but I think that they will certainly, you know, if an animal needs to go to one or the other, there there's no objections. And that. You know, when I first joined Wildlife Rehab, I, it was really, 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 um, those walls were really evident, you know, they were yeah, really yeah. there. Um, you don't, you don't even ask about the walls, you just pretend they're not there. Yeah. Um, and, um, now they're, I feel like they're there a lot less than what they were before. Good on you. You're such a, a good girl. I like the, the summary of that is, um, our, our commonalities are a lot more. There's a lot more commonalities than differences a lot of the time, 100%. Um, and and that's that's a really good, good yarn, uh, and a good outlook on. I, I love you. I love the whole direction this this conversation has gone. We're probably getting towards the end of uh, of of our story, but I just want to touch on. You haven't gone anywhere with um, with your diverse skill base, like you're a a violinist, you're a conductor, you're a violin teacher. It sounds like you, you're actually. Did you make violin violins as well? Was that what you tried to do? Oh, very poorly, very poorly. <laughs> that was an avenue that the water stopped in its tracks. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but you've had to go at all these different things. Um. So, do you want to just talk about that? Like, I love the fact that you've got all this, all these different um sparks you might call them mentally challenging different things and you're, and you're trying to be you're, you're studying to be a vet as well at the same time and you've got this root you're you're an, you're an animal rehabilitator wildlife rehabilitator plus this beautiful project um that you're running out of Anning Grove, the, the, the wildlife uh, food project do you want to just provide a mindset a thought process to anyone listening to your story today, because you're you're obviously a very young young man as well. Yeah, where does this um, diversity and capacity come from, and and what's your maybe philosophy? How does this happen? 
it's funny, you know, I picked up the violin. Most people pick up the violin when they want to be a professional when they're, you know, between the age of two and six. Um, I picked the violin up at the age of 15 and we couldn't afford a teacher. Um, on uh, and uh, so uh, my grandfather, um, John Warden Senior, he bought me a violin. We drove up to Heathcote uh, from Wollongong and uh, we picked up a $140 violin. And I remember seeing this violin and I just thought, wow, I just thought that is such a beautiful, it was multi, it was these different thoughts going through my head, you know, I was thinking, how does it sound so good? Yeah, you yeah. Know, these days I'd listen to a $140 violin and maybe cringe, but you know, at that point it was, it was incredible, you know, um, and the beauty of this instrument, the, the varnish, you know, the, the finesse and craftsmanship of, the, of these instruments. Um, and so I took it home and I taught myself to play and I started to, I reached out to the two other violinists who were at the school, being a violinist where I went to school was being like a wounded gazelle on the Serengeti. <laughs> but um, the, um, you know, I started saying, oh, what are you playing? Oh, how do you play that? Oh, and how do you read that music there? How do you do that? And, you know, they'd give me pointers and they'd help me out. You know, they knew more than me and I didn't know anything and I had no guidance, no professional guidance whatsoever. My music teacher saw, okay, you know, and not a particularly well-to-do background and um you know we're going to help this kid so he kind of you know invested in me um some extra time on the theory on it he was a trumpeter and did his best with violin um and so from there i i, I would see other people holding violin cases in wollongong and i'd ask them oh are you are you from the conservatorium you know do you do you learn the violin there and they were probably a little bit frustrated with this you know young little kid kind of looking up at them beady-eyed um you know, asking them lots of questions when they're on their way. But I learned through that. I learned through imitation, looking at, at, at uh, the, the different recordings of different violinists and, and seeing, okay, they're playing entirely differently. We talk about good technique, but this person's got that technique and this person's got that technique, and but they're both making it work. Yeah. And um, I studied and studied and studied and studied and studied and studied and studied. Um, I was practicing around about four hours a day at that point. And then... I got accepted into uh, university on the violin and that was that came out of nowhere that was an absolute it was like an earthquake underneath me you know there was this it was this I did at moment I managed to actually you know get in and yeah I'm sure I'm convinced at that particular point I was I was you know sort of the the, the, the last applicant <laughs> on the list but they gave me a chance and I had several different teachers and they were all they all rolled their eyes at my technique but they, they showed me the way and, you know, at that point I was spending six hours uh, to eight hours. In fact, my first two years of, of university, I was, I was practicing 10 hours most days, uh, wherever possible, with classes in between. Um, and then, you know, working in the profession and, and conducting and, and learning to conduct, um, I had a really great teacher uh, that taught me to moderate my, my movements, Hans Michatz. Um, you know, learning all these different things, I, I we got to, to the COVID pandemic and I just, everything came to a stop and I had to, to realise, you know, as if my friend that I talked about earlier, who really guides me a lot, you know, as if she was there in spirit and she, 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 you know, life just said, you spend all of this time doing something that you love and it's really important and what you do is, <clears throat> is a good thing, you know, um, it's a hard thing, but what if you applied all of the skills and the different ways of thinking to something else what would happen 
and that's where we got into gardening, into the science, you know, botany, and um, getting into the relationship between flora and fauna, and and you know, just started, you know, it started, you know, like a, you know, someone had just thrown this uh, a ball of, of snow at me, and it started rolling yeah. down the hill, and it's accumulating, 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 and um, really, that's that's it, you know, we the journey was a little bit more um, complicated. I'm, I'm su- summarizing uh, quite a lot. Yeah, no, I, I like it. I like it. I really like it. Um, this is like, like most of the world wouldn't have a clue about what skills a conductor has. And you said, just said, uh, one, some beautiful man's name, you just said, uh, gave you some advice to moderate your movements. I wonder... <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question and uh, and you can shut me down straight away. Do, do the skills you've learnt in conducting help you lead such a diversified project like the the wildlife food project? It's a funny thing because yes and no. Being a conductor has allowed me to understand how the different components that actually make the music that literally produce the music that are producing the food for the wildlife work it's allowed me to see that okay there's this particular person who's leading the violas or this particular person here who's principal clarinet um or whatnot and see okay they, they, that particular person plays in this particular way or they are currently in a, in a live situation they are phrasing it this way so all the other parts need to respond in one of a suite of different ways and you have to conduct that um you also have to as a conductor trust that the different constituents in your orchestra the different sections of the orchestra excuse me um they're they're professional musicians they're hearing what's going on they know what to do you know most of them know before you even show them um or they know what you're going to do um so yes it's it's given me an appreciation for actually you know what this is working i'm going to sit back on this and until such time as someone misses a cue or someone comes in too early or you know they've they've, they've tuned the timpani to the wrong key you know until such time as that happens i'm just going to keep my movements to a minimum yeah i'm just going to take take a back seat you know and let them do it because it's you know, one of the things that I put on the website, and I, it's it's true, it is community-led. Yes, I'll go out and I'll reach out to the different councils and, and, and Jess will reach out to the different groups and that sort of thing, absolutely. But that's, that's the when it comes to actually growing the food for the wildlife, that's the people who attend, that's the rehabilitators, the public, the citizen scientists, the bush care volunteers, the, the, the volunteers at the centre, you know, that, that's the kids who come along who, who pull out the Ahada and Paspalum and other such weeds, you know. Yeah. They are the, the different tutti players in the, uh, uh, in, in the group of each section, you know, it's, um, together for the overall piece. I don't know, because I, I, when I asked you to come on this show, you went, well, why do you want to talk to me for? but i love it i really so love what you just talked about that with um the conductor like the the premise for the courage lead interview series is to identify leaders who empower others to create a supportive and inclusive workplace environment or community so people can excel and that's essentially what you just said trust the different musicians or in, in the wildlife gardeners know what to do 
and I'll sit back and let it happen um, and keep my movements to a minimum. Uh, and that's your empowering them, trusting them to do what they know how to do when you just um, create the environment for that to happen. And, and out of that has come this beautiful movement where you're feeding wildlife that's replicating itself all over Australia and growing. So hats up, really hats off to you, Sean. It's um, it's so. su it's such a good story. It's uh, I love it, and, and I don't think you realise how uh, you're very you're a very modest guy. I don't think you realise what what you've got. It's um, it's pretty beautiful. So we're probably we're probably at the end of the end of the interview. If you were, um, I mean, your story's just starting, really. You know, it's 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 you've got the all there's so much going on. But if someone else is out there now and wanted to start something similar, and it, it doesn't have to be a wildlife, um, you know, planting project. It could be anything because your your examples and philosophies would work on any kind of project. What would your advice be to them? Have you got kind of three little gems or one gem that you would give an aspiring leader um, to think about? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I... I would say it's interesting looking at the order of these things because I have to, my impulse is to say, go for it, first thing. Yeah, Just yeah, yeah. go for it. But no, if I can, if anyone can learn anything from my story, it's, it's listen. Listen first. Listen to the sounds of, of the bush that you want to work on, you know, and, and, and that being analytical for listen to okay, this is the project that you want listen to people who are doing things that are maybe similar or that um have tried similar things and listen to what they did and you know establish their character it was their heart in it is your heart in it do you know people whose heart could be in it because you have to have you have to have a lot of heart in it. you have to be invested um so listen first i would say visualize Use multiple senses. Don't just use your mind. We get so stuck in our own heads. We think we've got a great idea and bang, we're on that biking circuit and we're going round and 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 round. But if we're listening, we're actually, we're going to, we're going to just, just take a step back. You know, we're going to, yeah, we're really going to take everything in. So yeah, look, I'll go back to that. So listening, um, I would say load yourself. You need to pull yourself back. Like it, like a slingshot, you know. If you really want to make an impact, you have to pull the um, I don't know what you call it, the elastic. When I was a kid, <laughs> you yeah. have to pull the elastic all the way back as far as you can, but don't let it break. Don't pull it too hard. If you let it break, you've lost the whole thing. Pull it back just far enough, and shoot. See what happens. See what happens. Yeah, don't try this at home. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, and 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 then just go with it. Keep listening and keep going. Keep listening and keep going. You know, the, surround yourself with people who who have their reservations or are outright critical. Ask ask them why. Listen to what they're saying, and that will help project you forward and keep it going. Yeah, I think that's that's really that's where I'm at currently, and I, I couldn't say much more because the the journey's still. Uh, on its Still way. Going. Yeah, no, that's really great advice, um, Sean. Thank you. Uh, you're the first interview for 2024, and you've set it. You've set such a high bar. You really have. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. You're. I love what you're doing. I love your outlook on life. Um, 
and there's so many other questions I could ask you, but I, I think we'll just we'll wrap it up. Uh, we'll wrap it up there. But uh, actually, I might just I will ask you one more question. You just you just kind of took me down that um, down that story in in your like you said, listen, listen, listen first, uh, visualize, load yourself like a slingshot, don't let it break, uh, and keep listening and keep going. Um, so I had a question around that. Have you ever had a moment, say, in this project or any, any where you said, I haven't got anything left, it's not working, and then something happened where it did keep on going? Yeah, absolutely. There's There's been moments where, you know, whilst the project itself has been really successful, you know, I work a full-time job, I'm studying on top of that, I'm rehabilitating animals on top of that, and I have a relationship on top of that. <laughs> um, and you know it's it's finding that you know i just described the whole idea of listening and and go and that's in relation to the project one has to set themselves realistic boundaries you know whether that be um you know temporal or whether that be um you know uh, look in my particular example um i found that i was dedicating so much time to all these different things that I would be up until two o'clock at morning in, in the morning. I'd have to do that feed, you know, feed that 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 possum that was on X Y Z, you know, or whatever animal that needed some attention. And then I'd be up again at five thirty in the morning to go teach, and I'd be teaching for ten to twelve hours. And then I the whole cycle would repeat itself. And very quickly, I found myself getting compassion fatigue. I cared about things so much, but I didn't care about myself in that. Yeah, moment. you know, you're yes. just reflecting. Where am I at? You know, some people call it meditation. Other people call it prayer. Um, some people, you know, use their time on video games or they they, they will, you know, their time walking in the bush. And um, my partner very, very quickly realized, Sean, you're really starting to, to go downhill and I was going to have to give something up. And um, it was when I, it was only, only when I started uh, going through counseling Okay. Uh, that that I I, rec I recognize that okay I I need those boundaries. I need to say at this particular time, I'm dedicating this to to my personal life, or I'm dedicating this to my studies, and nothing else that happens in that time. That you know, anyone who calls or whatever, I will not respond at that yeah. particular point. I will get back to you. I promise you. But right now, I need to care for the things that are important to me and myself. Um, so along with the other things that I mentioned earlier with, you know, you know, listening and visualizing and, and, um, just really just going for it, set yourself boundaries because very quickly you will, you will, you will find yourself exhausted, tired. Um, some people find themselves, uh, even, you know, they get quite bitter, um, in such situations. So yeah, I think the boundary side of things got me through that 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 um that moment that you were describing alan um, good on you good on you really I, I, it sounds like sarah is a pretty special partner uh the, uh, that you actually do listen uh and she she got through to you about you you're burning out you need to give something up and then you you went and got counseling uh, and i think the lesson out of the counseling seemed to be um live in the moment you know, fo focus on the moment, not on not on other things. So, you, I'm glad I asked you that extra question because I think you just wrapped it up. The way you would advise someone going down this path. So, thank you, Sean. It's been an absolute pleasure.
And before we wind it up, can you just tell me your website again uh, so that everyone knows what it is and just maybe just um, say it quite slowly so everyone gets the website? Yeah, absolutely. So the website for the Growing Food for Wildlife project is www.growingfoodforwildlifeproject.org. Beautiful. Thank you, Sean. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much, Alan. Well, how good was that, everyone? I must admit, Sean's approach to leadership, even though it's not probably not the traditional one in, in uh, growing food for wildlife, has lessons for all of us. Leadership lessons can come from the most unacceptable, uh, unexpected places. In our compelling interview with Sean Morden, we explored how his expertise in music as a violinist and a conductor has attuned his approach to leading the Growing Food for Wildlife project. He orchestrated change isn't just about taking the lead, it's about creating harmony and empowering each individual to play their part in the symphony of conservation. Until next time, thanks for listening. Now then, if you like today's podcast, please leave a short review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you choose to get your podcast from. These reviews are influential and I suggest that you share it with anyone you know who might be curious about being a better leader. Today's show was produced by Alan Sickard. It was edited by Alan Sickard and mixed by Alan Sickard. The theme music is by a musician called Savick and it is titled Legacy. I'm Alan Sickard. Thanks for listening.